Hello and welcome to the Folklore Podcast. I'm Mark Norman, folklore researcher and author. Deep in the dark forest, in a cottage that spins on birds' legs, behind a fence topped with human skulls, lives the Baba Yaga. A guardian of the water of life, she lives with her sisters and takes to the skies in a giant mortar and pestle, creating tempests as she goes. Those who come across the Baba Yaga may find help, or hindrance, or horror. So begins the press release to accompany the book Into the Forest, a Women in Horror anthology edited by Lindy Ryan, which features 23 new tales taking the image of the Slavic witch as its focus. Many of the contributors, among whom are a New York best-selling author and a number of Bram Stoker Award nominees, came from the US. But amongst the new female horror voices chosen from the many thousands of submissions is Welsh author Catherine McCarthy. Catherine has a love of folklore and mythology. She grew up in the Welsh Valleys, listening to her mother's retelling of fairy tales, and later nurtured her love of literature within her role as a primary school teacher responsible for literacy. She's written several novels that encompass her passion for fantasy and Welsh folklore, such as The Hounds of a Noon, entwined with her favourite historic spiritual sites like disused quarries, cemeteries and ancient Celtic locations. I invited Catherine onto the podcast earlier in the year to speak with Dr Jenny Barrett, Senior Lecturer in Film Studies at Edge Hill University and our guest reviewer for Into the Forest. Hello, my name is Jenny Barrett and I'm a film and history scholar and an enthusiast of folk tales and folklore. Welcome to the Folklore Podcast. And welcome to Catherine McCarthy, the author of the novella ghost story Immortelle from Off Limits Press, a host of short stories in anthologies and the collections Door and Other Twisted Tales and Mists and Megaliths, both short, dark or supernatural story collections. Catherine has contributed to the new collection published by Black Spot Books called Into the Forest, Tales of the Baba Yaga. It's over 20 short stories and a poem from female writers, mostly US-based, excepting Catherine, who comes from Wales. So welcome to the Folklore Podcast, Catherine. Thank you, Jenny. I'm so happy to be here today. And it's really nice of you to um, give me the opportunity to do this podcast. Thank you so much. So let's uh, talk a little bit about your background and your work. Um, I've been looking over the breadth and the themes of your work and folklore is clearly a strong influence in your story writing. And I was wondering if that was partly down to your heritage growing up in Wales, or if you can tell us a little bit more about your upbringing and the place of stories in your earlier years. Okay, um, well, I was brought up in a industrial Welsh Valley's little village called Aberbargoed. Um, it was very much a coal mining village, small and, you know, quite highly populated um, with a real industrial heritage. Um, I really, my mother, it was my first inspiration as far as story goes, because she was a fantastic oral storyteller and she held me captivated right from the start. She was one of 11 children, so she had a very tough upbringing. She had eight sisters 
So she had to fight for her voice to be heard, as you can imagine, with all of those. But she passed down to me. Um, so, so really, I could say that her own background, she was quite a bright woman, but she didn't have a lot of opportunity because she came from such a large family and in a, you know, a mining area. So her, to my mother, education was paramount and she was determined from the start that my brother and I would have more opportunities than she did. So in a limited way, I suppose she tried her best to instill in us, you know, a love of stories and education. And she began that by telling us lots of stories when we were children, stories from her own childhood, stories that her own father had passed down to her, um, lots of anecdotes and so on, lots and lots of fairy tales. I mean, she taught me to read before I went to school, obviously a basic understanding, but nevertheless, you know, she, she was the one that sort of drove that passion in me. Um, when I went to school, uh, money was, you know, quite short. My dad always worked. My mother didn't work when we were young because that was the way then. My father always worked. But things like books as gifts were always priority. And um, if ever there was a school book fair, which we regularly had, my mother would find the money for that, you know. So it was that sort of priority, really. Um, her her versions of stories were often like I say orally told even though I did have hundreds of books and she would always put her own spin on them so stories that particularly stick in my mind would be the wolf and the seven little kids which she made really quite gruesome um the little match girl as well as stories you know from her own family then so that's really where it all stemmed from such a rich heritage um I love that idea of your mum um putting her own spin onto the stories and yeah. knowing that you would love the gory aspects to the stories as well. Yeah. Um, so it, it does sound as if that that um, folk tales did feature quite strongly in your youth. What was it that particularly appealed to you in these folk tales or, or fairy tales and stories? Did you have some favourites apart from the one you've mentioned? Yeah, I think um, I think people can tread a bit on, you know, tiptoes with children. And I, I taught myself for 28 years, primary teaching. So I taught age ranges three to 11. And I always found in my own experience that children do enjoy the dark elements of stories. I think, you know, those dark elements in a way help them come to terms with real life. Um, so it was always the darker stories, really, you know. Red Riding Hood, um, Hansel and Gretel was always a great favourite of mine. Um, that, to be honest, yes, definitely the darker stories. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned Hansel and Gretel um, because we'll, we'll be coming on to talking a little bit more about Baba Yaga next um, because there is a, definitely a very strong link between that tale uh, and Baba Yaga as, the, as the, the forest witch who entices children to a house that smells of sweet things yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and the terrible things that happen to them there. What, what would you say, I mean, obviously this, this collection that you've contributed to um, has a lot of different versions of Baba Yaga and you've got a very specific version uh, in your tale, it's called The Peddler's Promise. Um, what would you say is the appeal of Baba Yaga? She's a figure who survived for centuries in Slavic cultures. What's the reason, do you think, for her longevity? Um, I think Babiaga is what I would call a chaotic neutral character in that she follows her own rules. 
Um, good and evil comes second as far as she's concerned and definitely second to any sort of fixed code that isn't what's best for her as an individual. So I think she, her part of her appeal is that she will put herself first. I know that sounds really selfish, but you know, the kind of world we live in and so on, I think that is part of the appeal. Um, she's also a complex character. She's ambiguous, she's unpredictable. Um, for me, when, when I started researching her, particularly for the anthology, one of the things I realized was that she, she very much stands between the protagonist and the thing that their heart, heart desires. And that was the sort of element that I wove into my story then with the Peddler's Promise through the magical boxes, which I'll speak more about later. Um, at the end of the day, I think a longevity stems from being able to connect with a character. And I think regardless of the fact that this story has gone down the centuries, particularly as females, maybe we can still connect to her and admire her, even though we know that morally she was often in the wrong. Right. Yes, I think that's the thing. When you read through the stories in this collection, including your story, um, there is this um awareness as you're reading that it's not conforming to the pattern of typical moral tales yeah. um it, it's very different these stories are very different from the stories that we might be used to um where we have witches or or magic uh, um and and I like that idea of her standing in between um for the reader so she seems like she's a very malleable flexible character um, so in the in the collection, she's found in the past, she's found in the present. Some of the authors have written her in uh, the American continent, some of them in Eastern Europe. Um, what do you do? You see her as having functions that are right across the board for everybody. Is this uh, is she just for women? What are her functions today? Yeah, I don't think she is just for women. Um... <laughs> Though she does tend to treat males a little bit more <laughs> meanly than, than women um, and girls. I think it's her spirit and her defiance. Um, she represents, as I said, the ability to put oneself first. Not always in a selfish way, as I say, but, you know, women's rights have changed down the centuries and we've had to fight, haven't we? You know, I mean, as you said earlier, my story isn't particularly feminist and I'll come on to that later, but but it's nevertheless, there is there has been a great journey to get to where we are now. And I think females connect with that particularly. Um, I think she appeals to many readers in the modern world, women, particularly who've had to fight to be heard. Although she's she's often fair and she can even be kind, but there's always that element of unpredictability. Um, you can earn her favour, but it's never simply granted and there will always be a price to pay. You know, it's a favour for a favour. And I would say, basically speaking, you don't want to mess with the Baba Yaga. <laughs> I think she comes across as that strong, formidable character that, you know, typically represents, represents female strength, regardless of what century we're in. And she doesn't suffer fools gladly. Yes, absolutely. I think that comes through very strongly in your story. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your story called The Peddler's Promise. Um, your version of Babiaga has her as an old lady, an old crone, who goes door to door with a basket of delights that she's tempting people to, to exchange. And you've set it in Russia. So we know this because we keep hearing um, 
Russian words. We've got the affectionate world for a, a word for a little child. It's dityatko. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and there's a reference to the um, the bread that you eat called piroshki. And there's a, a few others. I think you really do enjoy weaving regional languages into your work. Um, so why did you decide to lend the story those touches and to place it far away from Wales and in the past? I think it's just because of my personal preference. I've really enjoyed over the years, you know, as a teacher and also since I finished teaching, um, looking into stories worldwide. And I love to see the connections that we have. It sort of makes you realise how much more similar we are as apart from different. And I think that's important in life, you know. Um, so I, I, I researched it really in the traditional form and looking at all the elements such as the house on chicken legs and the typical characteristics that she has. Um, and I want I just wanted to write my story from the cult culture and country that she derived from. I also have a Russian friend. She's just an Internet friend. But I mean, she's going through hell, as you can imagine at the moment, you know, without taking any sides whatsoever. In fact, she's had to flee to South America at the moment. Um, and she was really, really thrilled that I was writing it in the Russian way. And she helped me with a few of the vocabulary as well. So there was that element. Um, yeah, I just really enjoy the commonalities that you discover when you look at stories from all over the world, you know. Um, I tend to read the more traditional versions of tales rather than modern retellings as just a personal preference. I think I've always had this feeling that I was born in the wrong century and I should have been born a century before because that's just the way my brain actually gravitates towards so i just wanted to keep the traditional flavor but i wanted to give it a new twist and that's why i came up with the idea of the puzzle boxes so as a peddler she she, she does use them to trap children but she acts as a peddler and within her basket it, um she is she makes boxes in all different shapes and sizes with painted scenes on them to attract the children and they magical boxes you know, that, that once she's gone and had a little gift of maybe a few ruble or, or, or a little bit of food, then the children obviously spend time trying to open the boxes and discover what's inside because her promise is that the inside of the box contains the very thing that their heart desires. Absolutely. That it's really evocative, that idea. Um, the way that you've written the story really brings that to life. You can absolutely see those little boxes and the efforts that those children are going to to try and get them open. So so she's giving out these little boxes to um, the youngsters uh, in the village, but it's only the boxes that are given to the boys that open up and then magically lead them away from home. The girls aren't able to open the boxes that they're given. So initially, when I was reading it, I felt that there was a suggestion that Baba Yaga's actions somehow represented this female rage against men, which is one way that we can understand her as a figure. But the story shifts to having a new hero who is a man. Yeah. And it's actually his weapon of power when he comes to the cottage on chicken legs comes from the advice that was given to him by a woman, by his old babushka. Yeah. So I don't think in my sort of understanding of the tale, I don't think it's a battle of the sexes being the point of your story at all. I think it's something to do with longing uh, and it's all consuming possession of someone. So t tell us a little bit about what you think about that. Yeah, you are right. Um, like I said earlier, my main aim wasn't to 
you know, provide a, a strongly feminist story is more of a social comment. Um, I would say at its heart, my story is a tale of loss and grief. So the three boys that go missing overnight, each of them were longing for something. For, um, the first character we're introduced to when the Baba Yaga comes into the village is a little girl called Clara and her brother isn't present at the time, but she has a box for herself and one for her brother Igor. His, um, his longing is for a horse. For the second boy, he desires to become a soldier and join the rebels and fight for his country. But the main character, as you say, um, Pavel, his son, Samuel, they've recently lost their mother, his, Samuel's mother and Pavel's wife. She died three months you know, earlier in the story. So for him, his longing is to be reunited with his mother. Mm. Um, so I sort of... <laughs> I sort of added a bit more to that really in that I described the length of time the boys took to open their boxes. Some of them took several hours into the night, whereas Samuel, the one who'd lost his mother, he opened his within minutes because such was his longing. It was so great. So it's all to do with that really grief and loss and how much you desire something will sort of like um, affect how quickly you can open the boxes. I also bring in other touches of other fairy tales. So, so for example, um, Igor, when his longing is for the horse, when he finally opens his box, inside is the toe bone of a horse. So he thinks it's sort of a piece of rubbish and he throws it out of the door. But then in the middle of the night, he sees that it's been transformed into this beautiful horse that takes him away to the Baba Yaga. So there's a little element of Jack and the Beanstalk there of throwing out the beans. And then again, you know, with Baba Yaga herself as the old peddler, there's a little touch of Snow White there. I like to do that. I like to weave in little hints of stories here and there. Um, I think it's also about how people see you or see people particularly after they've lost them or after they've died. So they become these heroes. And I think we're all sort of, I don't know if guilty is the right word, but if you know what I mean, we sort of almost idolize people after death. Um, so Clara, when she's searching for her brother Ego after he's gone missing, she pictures him, how he was around horses, how he would bring him to life and how he was always smiling. And she refuses to picture him any other way. Um, so the typical sort of brother sister conflicts that go on that was forgotten you know it was the fact that he was happy around horses and then there was one um, one mother sort of deems her son feeble in real life but now she sees him as a hero the one who fought to save the others and then Pavel of course whose son Samuel has been taken by the Baba he just knows in his heart that something is you know evil has happened because Samuel would not have left him alone after so soon after his wife's you know death um, and at the end, when, when, I mean, I'm giving the end away here really, but, but when they go and they discover that her hut has moved on and she's, she's gone and they just look in the dirt, you know, for any evidence and Clara finds a little toy. Um, it's a figure of a toy soldier on a horse. So that I've combined the elements of all the missing boys into the one figure that she finds in the dirt. So there's a little boy riding a horse. Um, it's a toy soldier, you know, in 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 the figure of the, at the end of the story, and he's carrying a rifle, representative of the boy who wanted to fight. The horse represents the boy who wanted to um, horses, his own horse. But then the horse's tail, the plume of the tail, is made from a lock of Samuel's mother's hair 
which is what he actually found when he opened his box. So it, the evidence is there that yes, Baba Yaga definitely took him because now, you know, the little lock of hair is there. So I just combined all those elements into one. But as you say, Jenny, um, there are many feminist tales and really overtly feminist within the anthology. And I think part of the appeal of that is that it will appeal to a wide range of people. But the reason real at the crux of it, the reason I chose to have only the boys able to open the boxes was just a, a comment on female stoicism rather than feminism. Um, the notion that females desires are or particularly were often thwarted you know they were always given the mundane tasks to do particularly within those old villages that the story would have um, come from it originally so girls were raised to accept the inevitable inevitability of life's disappointments so it's that sort of you know stoicism of I mean, I can I can read. I've got a tiny little extract here that I can read to sort of prove yes, that little please. element, if if that's okay. And this is taken from the part of the story where the villagers gather together in the square to discuss, you know, where have our sons gone? Where where are the boys? How why are they missing? And this is kind of the little motto or the moral behind my story. It's just this: it must be a trick. Someone said, "Our daughters are every bit as clever as our sons." Perhaps the boxes, the peddler gifts, the girls are impossible to open. Ha, said a wise old woman, our daughters learn from an early age that what one's heart desires can never be found inside a box, no matter how prettily packaged it comes. Better to accept life's disappointments and get on with it. Whereas our sons, well, let's just say they learn their lessons the hard way. I think to a degree that's still true of male and females, you know, boys and girls growing up. So that's that's that one, really, you know. Thank you. What amazing insight. Thank you. Not just into the tale, but also into your creative process as you, you came to develop that a particular sort of stance on Baba Yaga um, and it and therefore it, it really does go back to what you said earlier that this is a story for everybody this is not just uh, a story for women this is one that's going to be um, appropriate or um, relevant to anybody uh, yeah. I, I mean I would recommend to everybody to read it a couple of times it, it took me two or three times before the story really opened up to me um, yeah. so much richness um, all the way through the story um, so I think it's it's always good. We, we were ch chatting earlier on, weren't we, about um, yeah. uh, collections where sometimes you need to have a bit of a breather in between the stories. Yeah. Whenever I read a collection or an anthology, and I read a lot of them because I like to support other writers, you know, I have to read just one story and then put it aside because I like to continue to think about a story afterwards. You know, so the temptation, I mean, we're so used to reading novels or novellas that we just go through. But I think with short stories, you really do need to stop at the end of each and then pick it up the next day or whenever. Absolutely. Yeah. So we, we owe it to that creative process that the writer's been through, but also to ourselves because we can gain so much more yeah. <clears throat> uh, by, yeah. uh, by, by doing that. That's really great. So I was having a look at your website a little bit earlier on, <laughs> and uh, uh, it looks like you've got an incredible um, array of exciting new projects and publications that are coming out this year. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what we can be expecting? 
Yes, okay. Um, 2022, you know, just gone, was a year when I had a lot of short stories published in in some really good anthologies, but none of my longer pieces because um, Immortel, the one you mentioned earlier, was published the previous year, 2021. Um, this year, though, I have three longer pieces of work coming out. Um, I have a gothic psychological suspense novel coming out with Nose Touch Press. Um, that's for publish to be published in July is called A Moonlit Path of Madness and that's set mainly um, not far from where I live on the west coast of Wales in a little seaside hamlet called Newport Parog. Um, it's very much a psychological angst tale and it looks at madness um, sort of blending with the possibility of it being a magical element there. So you never really know whether the character is suffering from mental illness, inherited mental illness, or whether there are mag magical influences beyond her control. So that's really the journey of that one. Though it starts, it starts off in Vermont, but she moves back to Wales and inherits this house. So I'm really looking forward to that one. The cover is tremendous. Christine from Nose Touch Press is the cover artist and she's done a, a, an incredible job. As soon as I saw the cover, I thought, good grief, she just captured it so perfectly. Um, <laughs> I also have a novella coming out through Dark Heart Press, which is part of Dark in Ink Matter um, imprint, and that's called Mosaic. That's set in the UK, not particularly Wales, more Cotswold area, really. And that's to do with uh, a stained glass window in a derelict church that a stained glass artist ends up being commissioned to put it back together. But as she pieces the window back together, it unfolds something some great power which i won't go into because i won't spoil it um and most of my work though have sort of psychological elements running through so there's a there's a backstory to the main character there to do with narcissism in her family so she's conflicted anyway you know she's a flawed character because of her background um and then i have more of a it's, it's more of a younger novel, really, called The Wolf and the Favour, coming out through Bridget Skates Press in October, which is actually set right during this house that I live in, because my house is, and it was built in the 1820s, and um, so I've kept all the old sort of character, and then we've got quite a bit of land out the side, and at the back of the house, there's a lane that leads up to a farm, and my main, my protagonist in that is a 10-year-old girl called Hannah who has Down syndrome. I think enough, not enough stories are written about people with learning disabilities yes. and neurodivergent people. And I've actually taught children who have, you know, a variety of neurodivergent needs. So I had that sort of expertise sitting there. Um, I've made sure I've had sensitivity readers for it as well, though. So it's her, it's her journey, really, the, the lane symbolizes her journey to sort of self-acceptance and acceptance of losing her mother though not to death um and and it really makes her a hero which i think is really lovely for a for a child with special needs um i also have a story coming out again with nose touch press but this is just a short story it's in the third um fiends in the pharaohs anthology they've done three uh, so far and this one is called the sickle and the tithe and that's set in wales and i'm always writing basically so last week i wrote a short story which was um a dark twist on little red riding hood 
and I'm re I'm writing a longer novel at the moment called Death of a Clown, Birth of an Artist, which is very much a sort of existential story, but I'm, I'm only sort of 20,000 words into that. And I have another one, I had really good news this week that I'm having another novella published, but I can't give anything away on that at the moment because <laughs> I'm waiting for the contract. So extremely busy and my head goes in yes. all sorts of directions. <laughs> yeah, well, congratulations. It's wonderful oh, to hear you. that there's so many amazing projects that uh, we're going to be able to get our hands on very soon. Yeah. I really look forward to reading those. They sound okay. amazing. I'd like hope to we'll be able to chat again. Sorry, carry yeah, on. I'd just like to add that um, Baba Yaga, the, the anthology, is out in audiobook this week. Oh, right. Thank you. So people yeah. can access that through their usual channels. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing to know. I think thank it's you. the 15th this due, I think. Okay. Of January. Okay. Yeah. That's fantastic. So congratulations um, on, on all of those successes. It's, it's so great uh, to know that we've got plenty more to come. Um, so... Thank you very much, Catherine McCarthy, for, for joining us today on the Folklore Podcast. It's been an absolute joy to meet you and all oh, the best for this year. Oh, thank you, Jenny. It's been really great to meet you too. So, you know, really lovely. Thank you ever so much. Thank you. Thanks to Catherine and Jenny. You can read Jenny's in-depth review of Into the Forest in the book reviews section of the Folklore Podcast website. And the book is available from all good bookshops. You'll find useful links, as usual, on the Folklore Podcast website. I'm going to be travelling to Maidstone Museum very soon to give a talk on hobby horses and black dog legends as part of their ongoing display on the Kent Hooden horse tradition and hobby horses more generally. I was delighted to be able to organise the loan of the black dog hobby horse from the Folklore Library and Archive to this exhibition. The exhibition was launched a few weeks ago, with a panel discussion chaired by Professor Ronald Hutton, in discussion with some leading experts on Kent folklore in general, and Hoodening traditions in particular. We are very fortunate that Maidstone Museum recorded this panel and sent it to us for broadcast, so that you, listeners of the Folklore Podcast, can enjoy it. I'll be featuring that on the next episode of the podcast in a few days' time. Don't forget that you can help to support our work alongside the Folklore Library and Archive, which is a non-profit organisation, to help us to make more preserved objects from our collections available for loan, and much of our material, which is able to be digitised, available for everyone to use through online open access. You can do this by joining our Patreon for as little as a pound a month, or a little more, if you'd like to access our Discord member server. You can do that at www.patreon.com slash thefolklorepodcast. There's also a special Just Giving page running at the moment to help us to expand our online preservation and delivery of digital folklore materials for everyone. This will raise the funds needed to increase the Folklore Library and Archive storage by a factor of five. If you find our work valuable and can help a little, please go to www.justgiving.com slash crowdfunding slash digital and make a pledge of support. Thank you. Now, playing out this episode, here is Cardia with a track called In the Arms of the Goddess from the album Lessons of Rebirth. Thanks for listening. See you next time.
Let's go. 